New Testament reading comes from the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 28, verse 16 to 20, starting at chapter 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Beverly. Welcome everyone to Church at Nine. My name's Mike as well. I'm Asian Mike, that's white Mike. And so um, if it's your first time at our church, a really big welcome, or if I haven't um, met you yet, I get the privilege of um, finishing our series in Matthew's Gospel. We finally made it after many years. And um, uh, so keep Matthew 28 open as I ask you this question. Have you ever had one of those, what am I doing with my life kind of moments? For some people, it's a very like big moment. So they say, they say that you know middle-aged men have a midlife crisis. They say, I should have been a tennis player. What am I doing in this office job? I can't think. And they come home one day and they've bought this expensive road bike and their their family's horrified because they're wearing lycra and they're thinking, what am I doing with my life? How did I get here? So for some people, it's a very sort of big moment, big crisis. For many of us, it kind of comes more in sort of you know, second-guessing the decisions we've made, asking questions like, is this the best use of my time? Uh, I've been in this job for kind of 15 years. If I had made a different choice earlier, I could have ended up somewhere else. Or um, to give you an example, one of the questions that comes up with my wife and I every now and then is we sometimes ask the question whether it was the best choice for Mercy to stay at home and raise young kids and not work um, externally outside of the home. Now, that was a choice that we made, and we thought it was a good choice, it was a godly decision. But when all your peers and all your friends are all going back to work, it's bound to kind of come up. What am I doing with my life? Did I make the right choice? I'm not 100% sure whether I should have done this or done that. Friends, we live in a time where there are so many choices and so many voices telling us what to do. And that's why Matthew 28, these verses to finish Matthew's gospel are so important for us. Because with all those voices telling us how we should spend our time, the voice of the risen Lord Jesus, he stands there at the right hand of God and tells us exactly what we should be doing with our life. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So if we grasp this commission as we understand it, as we live it out, then you and I will be doing exactly what God wants us to do with our time. So I'm going to pray that God shows us that more clearly as we come to this passage. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Matthew's Gospel as we've seen the Lord Jesus take on the burden of sin which we could not. Father, as he commissions his disciples 
to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, we do pray that you would speak to us clearly today, that you would so take away all the things that we think are important and put this commission as our priority. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, most of the time we... Um, you might have heard this kind of passage preached, but it's often just the commission itself, go therefore and make disciples. But it's worth stopping and asking the question first, um, who exactly is this commission for? It's very easy to assume it's, it's directed to you and me, but where does Jesus actually start the commission? Have a look down in chapter 28 and verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him but some doubted. Now, mathematically, there's nothing special about 11. All our year three kids know that there were 12 disciples who followed Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus. He killed himself. So year three kids, 12 minus one, Austin. 11, that's right, 11 disciples. So mathematically, nothing special about the number 11. But in the narrative that we've been looking through, the number 11 is actually incredibly strange. It's incredibly strange. Now, do you remember, for example, the Apostle Peter? The last time we saw Peter, what was he doing? He was denying he even knew who Jesus was. And he went away crying in a state of guilt and shame. So he surely doesn't deserve to be commissioned for the most important worldwide commission there ever was. So verse 16 should really say, and then the ten disciples went to Galilee. But then, if you think about it, the other ten disciples all fled Jesus even before Peter did. So verse 16 should really say, and then the zero disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus directed them. But Jesus says here, the eleven disciples. And friends, here is the great mercy of the risen King. Now, the type of people that Jesus chooses to fulfill this crucial worldwide mission, they're not the most competent people. They're not the people who passed all the tests. They're not the people who have all things together. They're not the people who have the best vision for the church. He chose 11 disciples who found their rest in Jesus who knew they were poor in spirit and who could only approach the Holy God through the blood of the risen King. And that's good news for you and me. But secondly, you'll notice that it's not just for the 11. If you come to the very last verse, verse 20, Jesus says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the commission is for the 11 disciples but also for every disciple who has ever lived until Jesus returns. So that's you and me. So Sherman is not primarily a lawyer. He's a disciple maker. Peter is not primarily, I'm not sure exactly what Peter does, but Peter, Peter, but Peter's very smart. But whatever his job is, that's not his primary role. His primary role is a disciple maker. I'll be with you to the end of the age. The commission, who is it for? It's for the 11 disciples. But it's for every disciple of Jesus who has ever lived for you and I if we trust in the blood of Jesus. All right, why 
why should we do it? Point number two, why do we do the Great Commission? Come with me to verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Um, As we've traveled throughout Matthew's gospel, uh, Jesus, we've seen pockets of his authority. So he had the the authority to heal. He had the authority over the natural environment. He had the authority to to teach from God. But when the resurrection of Jesus happened, Jesus went from kind of his scope of authority, went from this small place in Galilee and Jerusalem to the place of all authority over heaven and on earth. And just like we've seen in Daniel 7, this Jesus is now the one to whom all people are accountable. Now, that's a very big statement. I just want to kind of suggest two things that that means. The first thing it means is that every person in this room, all your friends and all your family, whether they acknowledge Jesus' authority or not, they are under his rule. Um, a few years ago, I uh, went to a, a free boot camp, you know, those exercise boot camps, because I love free stuff. And um, we got talking with the, the fitness instructor, and we said, uh, I said, a couple of us teach scripture at the local school. We like to tell children about Jesus. And uh, you know what he said? He said, oh, well, I'm not a fan of that stuff. That Jesus guy is, he's not for me. But you can't say that. If Jesus stands in the position of all authority over every soul that ever lived, then you can't say Jesus has nothing to do with you. So what we're doing when we're calling people to submit to Jesus, we're not saying you should consider him as another ruler. We're saying, come and submit to the one who already has authority over your life right now. That's the first thing it means. The second thing it means is that the second thing it means is that Jesus has the power and authority to break the hardest heart. So you know that brother of yours who just will not commit themselves to the gospel or that family friend or that work colleague who just dismisses every time you even try to suggest it. If Jesus is an all power, all authority, he can actually break the hardest heart. It is not beyond him to do this commission. Um, in year eight, I, uh, for some reason, I joined the rugby team for my school. And one of the first games that we played was against North Mead High School. And uh, now, just to give you some context, my school is a selective school. So we're all kind of small Asian kids. North Mead High School, 99% of them were from Tonga, okay? Matt Halani. Just think, like, a whole bunch of Matt Halani's. And um, so three times our size, do you know what happened? Our coach said to us, look, fellas, I know these guys are big. I know these guys are scary. I know some of you have never played rugby before. But you know what? I'm just giving you best. And we can do this. This is not beyond you. And you know what happened? We got smashed. We got smashed. Yeah, yeah. 
It was very much beyond us. But when the risen Jesus commissions his people to go out and make disciples, he says, yes, I know this looks scary. I know people are going to reject you. But you know what? This is not beyond me. I have all authority and all power to break even the hardest hearts, even through your fumbling conversations. I have the power to break their heart. So do not stop praying for that brother. Do not stop evangelizing. Do not stop sharing. Even if you've been sharing for 10 years and there's not much progress. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is the reason why we do it. And that's why Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. All right, I think we're ready to look at the actual commission. What is it we've talked about? Who's it for? Why do we do it? What is the actual commission? Go, therefore, verse 19, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. There was this guy in my growth group a few years ago who always used to ask, um, hey, Mike, what does the original Greek language say? Most of the time, I didn't know. <laughs> but um, in this particular case, it's quite helpful because there's a whole bunch of um, instructions in verses 19 and 20. But there's, in the original language, the main verb, the main command is make disciples. So that's the focus area. So when Jesus commissions his disciples, he's saying, make disciples. And here's, a, here's what it looks like. It looks like going. It looks like baptizing. And it looks like teaching. Make disciples. That's the main focus. So we're going to have a look at those three things in order. Going, baptizing, and teaching. The first one, go. So Jesus says, go out. Now, because I have all authority and my scope has risen to the ends of the earth, go out with the gospel. Go out with the gospel. Um, I was helpfully reminded that um, in the Old Testament, one of the main focuses for the people of God was to do the commands of God, and as people see it, then they'll be attracted to your faith. So Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6, for example, it says, Keep the commandments of God and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Oh, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So one of the main focuses for the old covenant people was to live so well that people would look around and go, oh, that looks good. I want to get to know that God. Now, that's somewhat still true for the New Testament church. But because the scope of Jesus' rule is now the ends of the earth, he says, instead of just waiting for the people to come to you, he says, go. Go out. So sometimes that will look like going out across different shores into new new areas. Um, after this, we're going to pray for gospel growth in China. And I've been reading about uh, a missionary named Gladys Aylwood, who lived kind of in the early 20th century. And Gladys was a missionary. Now, by all admission, including her own, she was a very ordinary woman. She wasn't particularly good at anything. She wasn't rich. But she decided, I'm going to 
go and make disciples over in China. She was she went from Britain and she moved all the way to China all by herself. And while she was in China, she had two jobs. One job was to run a hotel, and the other job was to inspect feet. Because in China at that time, one of the things that they thought was that um, it was very beautiful for girls to have really small feet. So they used to bind them really tight. And one of Gladys' jobs was to inspect feet because it was illegal. So one of her jobs was to look at people's feet to make sure people weren't binding their feet. And Gladys went there, and as she inspected feet, and as she ran a hotel, she shared the good news of Jesus. She went out from her home to another shore to make disciples. But because the main verb of this passage is not go, it's make disciples, you don't actually need to go overseas to make disciples as well. So after this, we're going to hear an interview from one of our very own, Rusty Yee, and he's going to share a bit about the ways in which he's trying to go to his workplace, go here to church, go in his neighborhood, go in his family to make disciples. But either way, Jesus commands us, what will making disciples look like? It'll look like going with the gospel to our friends, to our family, to the nations. All right, number two, Jesus says, what does it look like to make disciples? He says, baptize them. Now, just out of curiosity, put up your hand if you have been baptized. It's not a, it's not a test. Have you been baptized? All right, put up your hand if you have ever baptized someone else. Yeah, ever, ever. So no one here has ever baptized someone else. So when Jesus says, make disciples, baptizing them, that means that none of us are being obedient to this particular command. What's going on with this particular one? I want to suggest, and it's not the majority consensus, but I want to suggest that when Jesus says, Baptizing, he's not primarily referring to physical baptism. So if you've never baptized someone else, you're not necessarily disobeying Jesus' command. Because if you remember baptism, one of the only places it comes up in Matthew's Gospel is at the very beginning. John the Baptist baptizes people, and he says, I've come to baptize you with water, but Jesus, he will come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And the rest of the gospel is really Jesus bringing people under his authority. So friends, I want to suggest that baptizing someone is not going to Yvonne Curie's pool and dunking them in the water primarily. It's actually helping them come under the lordship of our Lord Jesus Christ as he preached the gospel, as he challenged people to live in submission to him. We are baptizing But you'll notice, secondly, that we don't just baptize, we also baptize into or in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So when we bring people into the Lordship of Jesus, it's not just this sort of boss-employee relationship. 
we're actually bringing them into the family of God. It's a very relational concept, baptizing them into the name of someone. So like, uh, for example, when Mercy, my wife and I, we got married, she went from being a ding, that's her, that was a maiden name, to a chin. And one of the hilarious things about her going from ding to chin was that she was so relieved because she said, oh, I can, I'll stop getting teased. Because a lot of people used to tease her about her last name, Din. But then I thought about it, and like, Chin is not much of a better last name. You get equally, if not more, teasing with Chin as a last name. But to the point, when she changed her name from Din to Chin, she didn't just change her documents. She actually came into a new family. She came into the Chin dynasty with all the kind of warts and all. When someone submits to the Lordship of Jesus, one of the wonderful things is that they take on the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They don't just come into a God Almighty creature relationship. They actually come into the triune fellowship of our Heavenly Father. So one of the most wonderful things that I see is that as people preach the gospel, they also invite one another to join the family of God, to actually spend time with them to actually invite them into their homes to share a meal because that is an expression of that relationship that comes with baptizing. Go make disciples. What's going to look like going, baptizing, and finally, what does Jesus say it looks like teaching? Making disciples involves teaching. Now, that's a fairly obvious one. I think most of us would be on board with that. But I just want to kind of draw your attention to kind of two things about this type of teaching that Jesus speaks of. The first thing you'll notice is that Jesus doesn't say, teach some things, teach the most important things. He says, teach all things. Teach the things which are not popular. What did Jesus say about sexual ethics? Well, he said, you know, marriage is still between one man, one woman. Adultery actually begins in the heart. If you're a disciple, then you will teach all things. You will teach ethics on sexuality. Jesus teaches about wealth. He says, you know, being rich, having a lot of stuff is actually a really big barrier to coming to the kingdom of God. You've got to be clear about that. If you're a disciple of Jesus, then you will teach these things. Jesus says, teach them the cost of following me. It's not going to be easy. I remember um, chatting to someone in a congregation a few weeks ago, and they said, you know, life would be so much easier if I wasn't a Christian. If I get my time, like Sundays would be completely free, I would spend money on things that I want to spend time on. And he also mentioned this funny example where, you know, if I bumped into someone's car, I wouldn't feel compelled to leave a note, I'd just drive away. You know what? Following Jesus is in power and authority over all things. Then there is a cost. There's a cost to following him. It's going to cost you personal time. It's going to cost you money. It's worth it. But if you're a disciple of Jesus, then you will teach the cost of following him. Secondly, 
says, don't just teach information. He says, teach them all things, teach them to observe, to obey all things. So in some ways, teaching the Bible to someone is the easy part. Teaching someone about God, easy part. Teaching someone to observe and obey Jesus in all things, that's hard. That takes time. That takes a lot of prayer, a lot of your own frustration, a lot of your own efforts. But Jesus is saying, we're not just teaching information about Jesus. We're teaching them to obey all that he has commanded them. So what does it look like to make disciples? It looks like going with the gospel. It looks like baptizing, bringing people under the lordship of Christ and teaching all things that Jesus has commanded in obedience. So friends, church at night, what are you doing with your life? What am I doing with my life? If Jesus has made it absolutely clear that what he wants us to do is make disciples of all nations. What does that look like for you and me? Well, for my wife and I, for example, it means that even through some of the monotony and the exhaustion and the sleeplessness and the thanklessness of raising young children, um, if we are helping them follow Jesus and submit to him, then we are doing exactly what God wants us to do. What about yourself? Is there a, are you at a crossroads in your career? Are you wondering questions like, where should I move to? Am I making this right choice for my family? Whatever sort of decisions kind of happen at each stage of life, Jesus actually wants to say that the umbrella priority is making disciples of all nations. How are you doing that? How will you do that with what God has given you for who he's made you to be? I want to end our time with the great promise of verse 20 to finish not just our time today but actually as we finish the gospel of Matthew. As Jesus commissions his disciples with this almighty, worldwide, almost impossible task, he makes this promise to finish his book. Behold, Jesus says, verse 20, I am with you always to the end of the age. As Jesus was Emmanuel at the beginning of Matthew, so now Jesus promises to walk by the side of his disciples with you and I until he comes back at the end of time. I have a friend who used to be a, a social worker. As like job description terrible. He was a youth social worker. One of his jobs was to go out in the evenings in a rural country town of New South Wales and just to get to know and connect with young people. Now, that kind of job scares me. Scares me. I would not want to do that kind of job. But he always said, I was never scared to do it. I thought, wow, this guy's this guy's great. This guy's really great. But then he said, it wasn't me. The reason why I wasn't scared to go out and 
talk to these young people was because his co-worker who went out with him every night was a former heavyweight champion boxer. So every time he walked the streets of his country town, he went out with this guy who was huge. And so he didn't fear. He had no fear. He had the confidence that he was with someone who had the power, who had the muscles to keep him safe. And the Lord Jesus is not just the one who stands in power and gives us a mission to go out and evangelize and to make disciples. He gives us his spirit and he walks alongside us, reminding us that as we do this commission, he's actually there, right there with us, giving us the confidence and the assurance that this will work, that his mission will not fail. So keep that promise in our hearts as we seek to obey the commission in Matthew 12. Why don't we pray together? Father God, we thank you that Jesus did not stay dead. We thank you that he did not just come alive, but that he rose to the position of your right hand. That he now rules now over every soul that lives on this earth. We do pray, therefore, that we would so see clearly his authority, that we can confidently go out to make disciples in your name. Help us to work that out in our everyday life. Help us to work that out as a church family. And we pray that the power and the promise of Christ will remind us that as we seek to do this, you are with us every step of the way. And we ask this in Jesus' name.